Hello, everybody. My name is Trent Matthew, and with me is Michael Greenwood. And we're just a couple of Christian guys, but there is something different about us. That is that we struggle with underage attraction. We are attracted to people under the age of 18, and this has been a massive issue for us. This is something that the church doesn't really talk about. This is something that not a whole lot of people can relate to or understand. So this is where we sort of came together to make this kind of podcast. Just before we move on, I want to make it absolutely clear that we in no way condone any kind of relationships with kids. We aren't advocating for sex with children or pedophilia. We aren't pro this or that in any way, shape or form. We believe that God's plan for sex is strictly within marriage and anything outside of that is a form of wickedness. Yeah, so in this podcast, we're going to be addressing the question, why did God let me turn out this way? That's got to come to the mind of anybody experiencing pedophilia who also believes in God. Like, how could this happen? Certainly, we ask the question out of hurt or frustration. I know it's come to my mind that love and romance is supposed to be part of the human experience. It's supposed to be something for me. But pedophilia is certainly a dead end. And so I felt robbed at times. Like, this is a really terrible deal. It's important to recognize that it's not our fault that we're attracted to kids. It's a neurological condition. It's the neurons in the brain are not targeting the typical adult. Now, we know that God tells us that we're to take our thoughts captive and honor him with our sexuality. But why did this happen in the first place? Yeah. It can be a real challenge just to sort of work through that kind of question. What I found out is that most people who are asking this question can usually fall into a couple of errors to start off with, but it's underneath this kind of question, there's just a couple of things like sometimes we can feel like God just is not a loving God at all, that he doesn't love us, that somehow he singled us out and that we're cursed and that God hates us. I remember feeling like this for, you know, a very, very long time early on. And um, it just seems so real. It's like, why did this happen to me? And so for us, it's really important for us to really measure the love of God, not by what kind of happens to us, because God promises us that in this life we will have trouble and we'll have trials. And so bad things can happen to us. But just because bad things happen to us and just because we turn out the way that we don't like doesn't mean that God is mean to us or cruel to us in that sense. And I think one of the biggest demonstrations that God loved us, though, is through what he did for us on the cross. It's very easy to sort of point the finger at God and say, you're cruel, you're unloving because of how I turned out, though. But oftentimes we can forget that Jesus is also God. And when we realize this, when we look at the suffering of Christ and what he's done for us, like it just changes the perspective of everything because... God didn't just stay up in heaven. I mean, he could have, but he decided to come down to earth and be born as a man. Like, he lived among us. He walked among us. He suffered. He suffered terribly. He was rejected. He was beaten and tortured and essentially executed. So when we say to God, God, you have no idea what suffering is. You have no idea about this, blah, blah, blah. Like, how can you love me? Well, it's important that we have a look at the cross because it's at the cross that we can see the love of God really shining through. Secondly, though, it's also important that we recognize that God is powerful. It's very easy to 
slip into the kind of mistake where we think, okay, well, maybe God does care, but maybe he's up in heaven. Maybe he has like this rule, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, where he can't interfere with our lives or, or just or just something like that. It's like, you know, I'd really like to help you. Oh, but I can't because I'm up in heaven and I've got to do the God thing. But yeah, no, how could that be? I mean, if if he's God, then he is God. Like he is all powerful. He is the God of the universe. I mean, he essentially made this place with the power of his words. Like he just made the universe just out of words. He spoke and just things happened. And if he can do that, then he can basically do anything he wants. Then this raises a couple of questions though, because then you say, well, if God can do anything he wants, then why wouldn't he just rid the world of suffering you know why is there this thing called pedophilia why is there disease why is there so and so or all these things like that there isn't really a direct answer for this though but what we can know for certain is that this stuff doesn't find its origin in the mind of a holy and good god like the origin of evil it has been a mystery that has perplexed theologians for hundreds and hundreds of years what we do know is that this world is a broken place due to sin and suffering is a symptom you know we no, Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and consequently, we've also rebelled against God. We're born into this system of pain and suffering. And, you know, underage attraction and pedophilia, like, that's just one example of how we suffer in this world. We've all sinned, and we all need a savior. God didn't leave it like this. God didn't leave us in this place of need. Like, he actually sent his son into this broken world so that we could be back into a right relationship with him without sin and all of its effects. And until then, like he walks with us just day by day, leading us to greater and greater victories over sin and temptation as we, you know, learn to love and trust in him. So that then leaves the question also, why does he allow it to continue? Like, sure, if sin and suffering are part of this world and the fact that I have pedophilia is just part of this broken world, why did he allow me to be born with it in the first place? Or or why did, sometimes I ask, why did he allow me to be born at all if I was to experience something so like this? Uh, well, we learn in the Bible that God does have a purpose in the earth and our lives. Uh, as far as his purpose in the earth, uh, God sent a savior. He's not just abandoning us or leaving it, the world broken. He sent Jesus, and now he's giving us time, time to get to know him and find him. Sometimes this suffering helps us recognize our need for him. I guess it leaves us with a choice. It can either make us run to God or make us bitter. And secondly, I guess it also, like, there's this thing about how, like, we can understand a little bit about God's purpose in our lives, though. So even though we don't have such a clear-cut thing like, you know, God has allowed you to suffer in this way because of these things, God is good to us in the sense that he gives us some insight into what he's up to. I kind of love the idea that God is not just a God who leaves us alone to our own devices, that he, that he is working in us and through us to bring us into a better place, into greater connectivity with himself and with other people in God's family. There's, there's no such thing as a Christian who just tries to go it all alone and be like a lone wolf. Like it really is a community that God is building. It's also important to remember that he's changing us and that this is a growing process. I mean, Romans 6 verse 6 says, 
We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We, we are no longer slaves to sin. So it's a refinement process. God doesn't just leave us the way that we are, but he's actually making us holy. He's actually working in our character to make us more and more like him in his character. And this has so many, many different facets and forms that it's, it's almost impossible just to go into the way that God changes our character. But it's just one of these things. God has chosen us even before the world was created so that we could be holy and blameless in his sight. I mean, that's what Ephesians 1, 4 says. God does have a plan. It's not like all this crazy stuff is just happening and just, just for no reason. We are so immensely complex and the world is so immensely complex and God is so immensely complex. It's almost impossible to understand what God is up to moment by moment. I mean, for myself, there was a lot of times where I really kind of wanted to know what, what God was doing. Like, I kind of wish he'd just sort of tell me. And I came across this verse, Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 10. And, and this is where God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I just kind of think, even if God did give me the plan, if he just walked up to me and had just handed me this folder and says, Okay, here's, here's the whole plan for your life. Like, there'd be no way that I'd be able to understand it. I always think about it. Like, ha have you ever seen Iron Chef? The, the way that these guys would do things, it was, it was just insane. Like, they were, they were the greatest chefs in, in all of Japan, basically. And they're, like, making this meal. And they're, like, mixing this thing and chopping up that thing and, you know, blending and all these kinds of ingredients, like, most of them that you've never even heard of. And... As you're watching them make this thing, the question on everyone's mind is, what are you doing? Like, what are you making? And essentially, like, no one knows until it's done, until all of a sudden it's, it's out of the frying pan, it's out of the oven, it's put on the plate, it's served up nicely, and all the sesame seeds and all the sauces, like, swished around it and, and everything, and then it's done. And then you know what the meal is. But throughout that whole process, we have no idea what this chef's making. We are just absolutely clueless. And I think if that's true for a master chef, then how much more true is that for God? We, we really have to just be humble about this in, in so many ways and just realize that God is up to so much stuff that we don't even know like what it is. That's such a great analogy. I never actually thought of it quite in that detail, but yeah, that's totally right. One of my favorite verses is Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. I actually, I must have been like 10 years old when I first came across this verse, and I remember writing it in my journal at the time. But it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And this is God speaking. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned the flames will not set you ablaze. And what that meant to me, and it has meant to me through the years now, is that I'm not alone in it. See, that's the thing. If God asked us to endure these hardships and then was like, okay, you know, I'll come back and see how you're doing, that would be just awful. I mean, what sort of parent would do that? But he promises to go through it right beside us like when we're crying he's he's feeling it too and certainly jesus felt it in his life but god says he's with us 
even now, like beside each one of you. And he knows like, if it breaks the heart of parents to see their children suffer, how much more God must it breaks his heart. But he says he's going to be with us. And that makes all the difference. And that kind of points to like 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. Paul, he's author of a lot of the books of the New Testament. He, he was going through a real situation. He doesn't really go into what it was exactly he was suffering. Uh, it's kind of like to him, eh, it's not really the important part. The important part was that he prayed that God would take away what he was going through several times and he knew God heard him that God was hearing his prayer and the answer that God gave him was my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness meaning even though I'm weak because God is going to lead me to victory it's it's going to be his strength that's going to carry me through my strength can never make it and so Paul says he boasts he's happy then he says okay i'm going to be happy about the hardships and weaknesses because then i know it's god's strength in me so when it comes to pedophilia it's a awful weakness just because for all the baggage of shame and frustration and and potential for harm but it's like okay i know god is with me and also in spite of this my life can still be a wonderful story of God's victory and love. Yeah, I love that. Hey, that's a great verse about how even in our weaknesses, God's God's grace really does shine through. I thought of this analogy. Um, there's this thing called uh, a kintsugi. It's a bowl that's been broken, but it's been repaired. And they don't re just repair it with glue, just like you and I might if we break something in the house and we need to fix it. But they actually repair it with something that costs so much more than what the bowl was originally worth. So they'll repair this bowl with something like gold or like silver, something precious. And what will happen is, is that you'll see this amazing effects where along the cracks, or well, along where the cracks used to be, you'll see these veins of gold flowing throughout the bowl. And I think to myself, like how much, like how true is that in our lives, in one sense, because we've been broken because of sin, you know, we aren't perfect people. But then what God does is that he works, like he pours out his, his love, his grace, and it's like liquid gold that just flows through all of the cracks and crevices, you know, all of our weak points, all of the parts where we're broken. And this is what really like shines through so that we can still be uh, made whole, like, but we're made whole because of God's grace. And his grace is that which holds us together. Yeah, part of that is like what we're doing right now. It's like Trent and I have been through some hard moments ourselves. And then part of what we do is we can comfort others. And in your life as well, whoever you're listening to this, God doesn't waste the hard stuff that we go through. It's it'll be he'll, God will work through you to reach other people. And we see that in second Corinthians one, three through four, where he says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our trouble so that we can comfort those 
in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So it's not just like, oh, well, we feel you type thing, or that that's not what God's doing in all of our lives. It's more like we get to share the, tr the witness, what the gospel has done for us. And I know for Trent and I, we think it's such a privilege that God has been faithful to bring us through some dark times and then uh, have this opportunity to share with others. Um, we hope to see some people in heaven that we got to share this stuff with. So we know that no matter what, that these trials and these hardships we go through are going to develop perseverance and character and, and hope even. It changes us. And Romans 5, 3 says it real clearly. Uh, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that these hardships, sufferings, produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Now, we're obviously, we're not talking about suffering like if from being guilty or having a guilty conscience or, or suffering consequences for offending against children. That's, that's different. That involves, that's asking forgiveness and asking God to restore and help. Uh, and God can, you can change a person even through things like that. But even just the normal day-to-day -day stuff, just how we react to temptation or how we choose to stand for the Lord, all of it, God is going to use to develop us as people and our, our character. And it's also important for us to remember that God redeems people who struggle sexually. God isn't stumped by any of this stuff. The whole Bible is filled with examples of both Old Testament and New Testament people who have struggled or stumbled in one sense or another. Now, God still allows his people to suffer the consequences of their actions. But we hear that even when that does happen, God still walks with these people and still guides them. I mean, we have a look at Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute from Jericho. She was essentially a pagan woman, and she was saved by God's grace. And she was in the lineage of Jesus. And Samson, the guy who visits prostitutes in you know, Judges chapter 16, even though he made the mistake of trusting Delilah, and even though he was captured, and even though he lost his sight and he lost his dignity and all of these other things, in the end, he dies victoriously. And David, the wife-stealer, power-rapist, essentially, in 2 Samuel 11, he still suffers the consequences of what he did, but he goes into repentance and God forgives him. And there's heaps of other examples. There's the woman at the well who had five previous husbands in John chapter 4, yet Jesus continues to talk with her and says, if you want this living water, I am this living water. This other, this other water that you've been drinking is not going to satisfy. And there's the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 7. I mean, I think, man, just how bad that must have been in that society to be caught in the act of adultery. I mean, it was punishable by death. And yet Jesus still chooses to interact with this woman, um, the prostitute in Luke chapter 7 as well. 
And if that wasn't enough, there's the entire Corinthian church where everyone was basically sleeping with everyone seems to be what we get from, from the text. I mean, Paul even says that what they're doing is not even what the pagans are doing. So we can only imagine what kinds of things must have been happening there. And yet, in spite of that, God lovingly corrects them through Paul's letter, which brings them to repentance. So God isn't stumped by any of this. I mean, if God can save and redeem and walk with all these people, then he can save and redeem people who struggle with pedophilia. Yeah, it reminds me of Psalm twenty-two, twenty-four, which says, God does not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. That is one of my favorite verses. It means, like, God doesn't look at us with disgust. He doesn't despise us or look down on us simply because we have this struggle. So often it feels like this particular struggle, pedophilia, it can feel so dirty and so shameful. And in a way it is to hurt children, of course. But it's like any other sickness or malady, or in this case, a challenge, a neurological condition. But Jesus came to overcome all the brokenness of this world. And he can guide us through this and help us live wonderful lives, stories of victory and overcoming, even in the midst of the challenge. That's victory here on earth, is that life well lived in spite of the challenge. And then he says in heaven, there's going to be an acknowledgement of what we went through and what we've overcome. So pedophilia is its just one more opportunity for Jesus' victory in our lives. Yeah, and I mean, I just love what Isaiah 46 verse 10 says, where God says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I mean, it shows that God has a plan and a purpose in all of this, yet we don't see the end. Sometimes the furthest we look is a couple of years or something like that, but God sees what can happen into the future hundreds of years after what happens. I mean, I always find it encouraging looking at the life of a guy called William Cooper, spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, but apparently it's pronounced Cooper. That's at least what I heard. He lived, I think it was in the 17 or 1800s. I can't remember which exactly. He suffered terribly in the sense that he was afflicted in his emotions. He was on the way to become a lawyer. But what happened was so emotionally unstable that he wasn't fit for the job, essentially. From what I've read, it says that he would be looking out windows for hours and days just on end just because his mind was in such a fog he suffered horribly from severe severe depression he was institutionalized on a number of occasions and on one occasion he became a christian and um even though he it could be said that he failed in the worldly sense he wasn't able to get a career he wasn't able to afford his own house, like he was living at someone else's house. He wrote some of the best poems, some of the best hymns, and um, one of the best hymns, I'll read some of the verses, it's called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And this is what he writes, he says this, 
He says, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. I should just also add here, this guy suffered depression so badly that on a number of attempts, he actually tried to commit suicide. He tried to kill himself. One time, he traveled down to the river to try and drown himself, only to find that the river was at low tide and there was no water there. And uh, he just sat down on the riverbank, just completely perplexed until his friends were able to find him. So this guy had such a tough time in life, but throughout everything that he suffered, God was good to him and God helped him to make it through victoriously. And now his experiences here for us written down so that we can be encouraged as well. And who knows how many people can be encouraged by your life. We don't know the full story, but only God knows. So if you're listening to this and you need some extra help, we are available by email at support at christianpedophile.com. You can also visit our website, christianpedophile.com. And please reach out if you need that help. So please know we're praying for you and you're not alone. Goodbye. Bye.